Today on Stick to Football, we are fixing the Washington Redskins. This is take two. I got it wrong the first time. Also answering a lot of your draft on draft questions and updating you on players declaring for the draft, coaches stepping down, quarterbacks getting benched. Connor, we have a great show, man. And we are also off to Atlanta in just a couple days for the Johnsonville tailgate throwdown. Yeah, we're really excited to get down there for the SEC championship game. Sean Alexander is going to be our guest on the show live right outside Mercedes-Benz Stadium, right in that probably 1030. We'll be down there getting ready to go. Yep. Uh, the show will be you know within the hour or two. So if you're in the area, if you're in Atlanta, make the trip over because the tailgate tour has surprisingly not come to an end yet. We got one more stop here before we take a little holiday break. So it's going to be really exciting to get down there and see uh, we're going to see some pretty good players there, Matt. You know what I love? That even when Alabama doesn't make the SEC championship game, we still bring an Alabama player. It's, it's like, you know what? Alabama's going to be represented, goddammit, one way or another. We'll find a way. Yeah, always. Nick Saban is always there. Uh, let's let's jump into a little bit of the news. Not a lot of it, but we're starting to see players declare for the NFL draft, which is an exciting time of year. It's also a stressful time of year for those of us who have to keep track of such things. We saw two of them. On Monday, Jalen Rieger, wide receiver from TCU, and Albert uh, Albert O is what we call him, the tight end from Missouri, Oquabugnum, I think is, is how he, he says it on Twitter, uh, tight end from Missouri who had both players actually had a down year statistically. Both players battled injury a little bit this year, but just wanted to have a little bit of a conversation about these guys because as player declarations come in, the one thing that everyone does on Twitter, where do you have this guy ranked? Every time. And so I think we can start with Rieger who... I like uh, Jalen Rieger. Uh, here are my concerns because uh, I'm starting to fill out scouting reports. This dude has a ton of speed. In fact, the, the top note I have for him is he's a speed demon at 5'11", 185 pounds, but he drops way too many passes for me. And so I got a little bit of a Corey Coleman vibe from watching him. Now, Corey Coleman was a top 10 pick, and he'll probably never have to work again. I don't think Jalen Rieger's going to run well enough to put himself in the top 10, obviously. I have him right now as a round three or round four receiver, depending on how that run in the first round goes. If we see six or seven receivers go in the first round, that could help Jalen Rieger. It could bump him up. But I'm intrigued by him. I think he could get to a team where he can run as a slot receiver, can work as a return man. That could help him. But... He just played a little small for me, and that showed up in a lot of drops. I'm with you, Matt, and I think that's going to surprise a lot of people because I know there are people that believe Rieger is, you know, top 50 kind of player. Now, I do think he's become a victim of a great wide receiver class that has speed. It really does. I mean, there's a lot of guys that could already fly that were more productive. Now, that doesn't mean we dislike him. We just mean that there's a good chance. And he had a great 2018 season when you look at the 1,000-yard year. I thought that film was a lot better. I thought the big playability was a lot better. Some of that is not his fault, obviously, in the situation he was in at TCU. But I just think that he's one of the names in this crop that probably will run well. And his big playability is really exciting. But because of how loaded the class is, he might be able to actually yep. sneak outside the top 65 picks when all is said and done. Yeah, right at 104 for me. Uh, so we'll see. Um, as a junior, no senior bowl. So combine is going to be important for him. I think medicals are going to be pretty important for him. On the other side, but we have Albert O, who we've been talking about for three years, uh, basically, as a prospect. He started at Missouri as a true freshman. Caught 11 touchdowns on only 29 catches. So we were like, oh, my goodness. Like, this guy is a baller. 2018, only, only plays in nine games all three years. So that's that's interesting to me. A guy who hasn't been able to stay on the field. Last year, caught 43 passes with Drew Lockett, quarterback. This year, 
Battled injuries again, only 26 catches for six touchdowns. So statistically, you never want to see a guy get worse throughout college. You want to see guys get better. So I think with Albert, it's going to be a little bit of how banged up is his body. Is this going to be a case where a guy's always hurt in college? Guess what? He's always going to be hurt in the NFL. He has great size, 6'5", 255. He kind of plays like an Austin Hooper, above-the-rim type tight end. It's just a matter of, can we keep this guy on the field? Because if so, I think he's one of the better naturally pass-catching, receiving tight ends in this class. And this is a class of tight ends that's not amazing by any stretch of the imagination. But there's just a, a lot of dings for this guy where it's like, God, how, how can we get you on the field for 16 games or 17 games if you're only playing nine a year in college? Yeah, I'm with you there. I think when you look at Albert L, I remember when we did the summer previews, he was somebody that we sat here and said, listen, he has a very good chance to be tight end one. He also has a chance to be a round one player at back end round one player. But I think when you look at it, the things that concerned you might have gotten worse. You wonder you know, how much of a workhorse can this guy be at the position? How much can you have him on the field? Because you know the natural ability is really special. I look at Alberto, and I think a team that does have a lot of picks can take the luxury on day two of taking him and making him a pass-catching tight end, too. You see what Philadelphia is doing right now with Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard? They run their offense through two tight ends right now, and that is some of their yeah. problems at wide receiver. But I think you look at Alberto, he might never be, and I don't think he'll ever be, a guy like a George Kittle or a Travis Kelsey, where he's just the workhorse tight end, 10 targets a game, 80 to 100% of the snaps all the time. I think he's more of that tight end, too, that can really be a nice mismatch weapon. But you have to wonder, Matt, what kind of value does that hold in this draft class? Yeah, I have him around three as well. So two players go. declare both have him in that round three range. And I think both could could flow up a little bit. They'll test well. Especially, yeah, the it, test well and no questions when it comes to the medical evaluation. Now, one of the bigger surprises of the week was that Chris Peterson has stepped down as head coach of the Washington Huskies. Jimmy Lake, their defensive coordinator, who's an excellent defensive coordinator, promoted to head coach, not interim head coach, just promoted to head coach. Peterson will coach through the bowl game. And when this news came out, I swear every fan in the world, it seemed like, was like, is he going to Dallas? Maybe he'll go to the Giants. Is he going to go to USC? Yeah. I actually... Talked to quite a few people yesterday. They think he's just done. They think he needs to recharge. He's 55 years old, but he's been on a grind, building up Boise State, rebuilding Washington. A lot of people believe that he's just going to take maybe a year or two, step back. He's going to move to an advisory role in the athletics department. I would be surprised if we see Chris Peterson coaching anywhere next year, whether that's college or the NFL, even though I do believe he's qualified. When we've talked in years past about Best college coaches go to the NFL. We always talk about Peterson, but it really sounds like he just wants a little bit of a break. Yeah, that's the vibe I'm starting to get as well. When you look at it, Matt, I mean, obviously, great football coach. He's a family guy. So maybe at this point of his life, at you know what you said, 55 years old and somebody that's been a head coach for over a decade now and very successful one. I mean, you look at the overall record, 146 and 38. And a lot of those were from no loss and one loss seasons at Boise State. That's how good of a coach he was there. Takes over a Washington program. And let's be real. This Washington program over the last four years has hung with the best of them. And that goes to him. And I think it's interesting because when these situations happen where a guy opts to step away, it's almost like their value increases over time. I think there's a situation where we can hear Peterson's name in a year 
probably a year, I don't think two years, where he'll be tied to every big open job in the country at both levels of football. Now, whether he wants to get involved with those jobs is another question. And let's talk about Jimmy Lake a little bit for this program. This is a guy that's been with this Washington team for about five years now. He's worked his way up as a DB coach to defensive coordinator, and now he'll take over the program. There's a lot of praise for him, and I know he's very well liked in the recruiting trail, a trail that Washington Considering their position on the West Coast, it feels like they dominate at times. And that's really impressive when you look at what USC has done in the past or UCLA or Oregon, teams like that. It's not the easiest place to recruit all the top West Coast kids, and Washington seems to do it. And I think when you look at an in-house option like Lake taking over, that's a really promising side of the hire. Yeah, anyone you talk to about how good their defensive backs have been, and even some of those D-linemen they've had the last couple of years, Everyone talks about Jimmy Lake, just what a great coach he is, what a great coordinator he has been, and like you said, a great recruiter. I think Washington's going to be in, in pretty good hands with him running the show there. I always I like continuity when you can do this with a promising guy. You know, Ryan Day and Lincoln Riley are the two that come to mind of promising assistants who, when the head coach steps away as a young head coach, these guys get elevated and have done a very good job. All right, last thing, Nick Foles over the summer was given $88 million by the Jacksonville Jaguars to be their starting quarterback. He has now been benched officially for Gardner Minshew, who is a sixth-round pick. I am torn on this. I want to applaud the Jaguars for doing the hard thing and benching the $88 million man when he's not playing well. It's hard to do. You've paid a guy that much money. It's only been 13 weeks, and you have to say, you know what? He's not getting the job done, so let's bring in the sixth-round quarterback in Gardner Minshew. But at the same time, man, in hindsight, which is always perfect, giving Nick Foles, I think, $45 million in guaranteed money this year Giving Nick Foles that contract looks absolutely terrible right now. They can't move on from him. He's fully guaranteed next year for $15 million, would count 22 against the cap. They can't. They're stuck with Nick Foles, like it or not. Oh, they absolutely are. I believe the first two years of the deal, which is not over yet, this year and next year, were fully guaranteed at signing. And like you said, Matt, $45 million fully guaranteed at signing. So when you look at the back end of this deal, you go, wow, it's ugly when some of the dead money could potentially run into 2022. But more importantly, how front-loaded this deal is right now can seriously handicap the Jaguars for the next two years. And I think it makes you wonder... You know, what kind of coach is going to want to walk into this situation? Now, you can make the argument on the flip side. Gardner Minshew is a very sellable product at quarterback where a coach might really, really like him. But the full situation is very frustrating. Uh, you would sit there and say, well, with all the teams that need quarterbacks, somebody would trade for him. But with that contract, Can't. I don't think they can. It's not possible. So the Jaguars got to ride this thing out. They're in a very interesting scenario. Maybe Foles needs to recharge as a backup again to be good again. It feels like that happens every couple of years. But it's a very difficult situation. But let's not completely bury the main point here. It is exciting to see Gardner Minshew as the future down there in Jacksonville. It, it really is. And I think what Jags fans can take solace in is the fact that their quarterback room is still manageable under the salary cap. So like that part is fine. Like, yeah, you're paying Nick Foles an a ungodly amount of money, but you're barely paying Gardner Minshew. So it does work out. But... I think this is interesting because if you are, you know, Tom Coughlin comes in and does this, and Doug Marone, they they bring in Nick Foles, like, oh, there's such familiarity here, and they bring in John D. Philippe as the offense coordinator, and oh, there's such familiarity, we got to get the group back together. Tom Coughlin has not done a good job as team president at all. in Jacksonville, really hasn't. And I think you know this is a team they could Blake Bortles a huge contract, obviously that didn't work. They give Nick Foles a huge contract that didn't work, and I know that that Shaq Khan is. 
loyal, but it might be time for him to just clean house. Whether that's Tom Coughlin, Dave Caldwell, Doug Marone, who I like Doug Marone. I actually think Doug's a pretty good coach. I just don't think he's been handed the best weapons to work with. Man, it, it feels like whether it's Jalen Ramsey or this situation, that Tom Coughlin is in way over his head in Jacksonville right now. I mean, and they have a pretty significant contract to work out with with their top pass rusher there in Ngakwe. So with that Nick Foles cap number on there, they're going to have to trim some fat to get that deal done, or we could see another major, major splash trade this offseason coming out of Jacksonville. Yep, there it is. All right, let's take a break. We come back. We're going to fix the Washington Redskins. One of the most difficult jobs in football is working for Dan Snyder, and we are going to do that today, <laughs> fixing the Washington Redskins. And let's just be honest. To fix this team, you have to buy this team. That is the only way Washington's going to fix I know we've had guys on here like Santana Moss talking about how great they love him. Love Daniel Snyder. And he gave them a ton of money, so I'm sure they do. But all the problems in Washington start at the top. And it just trickles down. So I don't know if we need to get Jeff Bezos, somebody in here, to buy this team. Because they are not going to win as long as Daniel Snyder is, is the owner. They haven't. And they won't. So, no, that, that being yeah, said, it's, it's not great. buy the team, fire Bruce Allen, fire Doug Williams, and let's just start this baby over. That's the only realistic way we're going to fix this team. But since we uh, don't have $2.5 billion laying around here at Bleacher Report to buy the Redskins, you got to look at this uh with the idea that Snyder and probably Bruce Allen will still be there, which does make this difficult as far as GM options, head coach options. There is good news. They have $52 million in projected calories, salary cap space. Really only have one key free agent, and that's Brandon Scherf at right guard. So they And they have some pieces. You know, they really do with Dwayne Haskins, Terry McLaurin. They have some dudes on defense that we like. But the key here at the beginning, what do you do with Trent Williams? which has been a black cloud hanging over this entire season where he's never going to play for this franchise again, and they have not traded him. They really, when people were calling to trade for him, they wouldn't even take those calls. Like, nope, he is not on the block. We are not considering it. They have to move Trent Williams this summer, whether that's to the Cleveland Browns, the New England Patriots, the Los Angeles Rams, wherever it might be, Trent Williams has to be traded. That's the first order of business if you're the Washington Redskins. I'm with you all the way. I think when you look at it, now if you trade for Trent, who's going to be 32 next year and was playing at an extremely high level before he, you know, obviously got hurt and has not played this year for very understandable reasons, a lot of issues with the medical staff, you're going to have to give Trent a new contract. So I think the value since they waited so long, Matt, has sunk. I think when you look at Trent, they might have gotten a back end of round one or top of round two kind yeah. of pick for him. I don't know what it's going to be this offseason. I do think it's still a second rounder because he plays such a premium position at a high level. But everybody knows they have to move him right now. So you're Washington, and we're going to get into our own mock drafts in a little bit here. They don't have a second round pick. This is how you recoup that asset because this guy is not – he would have been a great piece for Dwayne Haskins. Would have been yeah. a great piece but the relationship is completely, completely lost there where they're going to have to move on from him and really find a way to get more picks because this is a team that, let's face it, they've spent some money. They drafted their quarterback quarterback last year, but they're completely rebuilding. They absolutely are rebuilding. And I think with Trent, like you said, you probably want to start that um, with a second-round pick because you don't have one. So the trade-up to get Dwayne Haskins, no second-round pick, I think that makes him very... 
it, it makes him expendable because you know he's never going to play again. Like you said, he's probably killed his value to some degree by saying I'll never play again. But he is a guy that I think is getting moved. I think Cleveland makes a lot of sense unless they feel like they can draft one at 15 overall to be, you know, that that's the team that's like plug and play ready to go. So let's move on here. Head coaching candidates. They have fired Jay Gruden. This is a team that like, they're not going to get Lincoln Riley. They're not going to get Matt rule. They're not going to get, you know, Robert Sala. Like they're not getting the top candidates because of ownership. But they'll spend money. They will pay. They will pay. I feel like this is a good spot for Mike McCarthy to resurface because they need like a steady hand. They need someone who can work with Dwayne Haskins, someone who can work with the offense. And I think McCarthy isn't like the sexiest name, you know, like where it's like, oh my God, the Cowboys fire Jason Garrett. Let's go get Mike McCarthy. But he's a good name. He can bring some maturity, a little bit of culture building, and again, a steady hand to Washington. I think Mike McCarthy is a pretty interesting name here. I think he is, too, because you can see them going. I don't want to call McCarthy a safe route because I I was not a fan of him in the coaching cycle last year. I thought he at least needed a year off. It seemed like he needed a recharge. Things did not end well there in Green Bay. But when you look at having command of a franchise, if Washington can't convince a Matt Rule, which I don't think they can. I mean, he was the guy that advised Bill Parcells last year, and when things didn't go perfect with the Jets, he was like, I'm good. So I don't know if it's going to be any better. I can't see Parcells telling someone to go to a shit ownership group. You know, like, no, that's not, not going to happen. Not at all. Not at all. Now, here's the thing I don't think a guy like Sala is going to be very desperate. I, I think he's going to have a nice range of job offers. I really do. I think he's going to be very well liked in the interview process where he doesn't have to settle. Now, is Mike McDaniel. Going back there, I think when you look at it, that's not going to be a job that he takes. I mean, did you hear how Kyle Shanahan spoke right. of his time in Washington? <laughs> and him, and Mike, him and Mike are like best friends. So you're starting to cross off candidates. And we're not doing this to be jerks, Redskins fans. We're doing this to put in some perspective of what's realistic right now. And that's why I think McCarthy's name will surface. Can they get creative here? It is a big question for me. And the big thing is, too, yeah, ownership is not great. But if you you're if you do move on from Bruce Allen and you write a blank check, maybe somebody will come in there because they're given full power of the roster of the draft, a payday that could be right. That's the one positive of this job is you might have complete control of football operations. This could be kind of a Pete Carroll situation where they bring in a powerhouse head coach because of the money and control, and then he hires the GM that he wants to work really kind of under him. And I will say this. um, I don't know that Josh McDaniels would take just any job, but I could see Josh McDaniels taking this job because of the money and because of the power. Now, he turned down. Indianapolis. A lot of people that you talk to say he turned down Indianapolis because of uncertainty about the owner there and to take that however you want. But I could see him taking this one because of, I mean, this might be an $8 million a year gig where you are the GM. And I think for Josh to take a job, it's, it wasn't going to be, you know, even though Chris Ballard's highly respected, he, he didn't take that job. So being able to go here and I'll tell you a name that has always been tied to Josh McDaniel, even back to when a lot of people thought Josh would get the Niners job over Kyle Shanahan, is Lewis Riddick. Remember where Lewis yep. Riddick scouted? Washington. So he has That's a relationship right. with Dan Snyder, a very good relationship from everything I've heard. I think that would be interesting. Those two are often tied together when you talk about you know tag team coach and personnel man. 
I I could see um, at least some smoke happening as far as Josh McDaniel and Lewis Riddick going together. Uh, let's get into the mock draft, though, because this is the part that we basically live for. The Redskins right now own the number three pick in the first round. We can expect Joe Burrow and Chase Young to be picked at one and two. That leaves Washington with some interesting options, but no great ones, if we're being honest. I think this team has big needs at left tackle. They have needs at corner. They need another wide receiver. They need a linebacker. we got to wait and see if Montez Sweat develops into the pass rusher. They expected him to be when they took him in the first round last year. But at number three overall, I'm going to go a little bit off where we have been with this team and where I've been in previous mock drafts. I'm going to take Jerry Judy. And I think one key here is I want to build something around Dwayne Haskins. Try to give him a chance to have success. There's not a left tackle I would draft at number three overall. So best player on my board, Jerry Judy. And pairing Judy with Terry McLaren gives Haskins a shot. He has two very good young receivers at this point. Want to give this dude a shot to at least have some playmakers. Yeah, I, I see that completely. You you really got to build this offense to a point where Haskins has a chance. That's the most important thing. I looked at this third overall pick, and I kind of came to the same conclusion as you, Matt, where I was sitting there. I was like, this is either Jerry Judy or the guy I took, and that's Jeff Akuda. Yep. And for me, it's a talent at a need. Washington needs corners. I think Akuda is a phenomenal prospect. I think when you look at Judy, he's an amazing player. I just value what Akuda does on the defensive side of the ball a little more. There was no offensive lineman I was willing to take here with the third overall pick. And like you said, Joe Burrow and Chase Young are off the board. So for me, it was either Judy or Akuda. I just went the different route than you. Start stacking the back end of this defense because you have guys up front that can get after it. And Josh Norman, it has not looked good. So if you get a player in there like Akuda who can be a true shutdown, man-to-man corner with ball skills, I would love that start of the draft for Washington. They don't have a round two pick as of now. They might get one back. Round three, pick 68. This is where I'm going to go offensive tackle. If Walker Little declares a player at Stanford who missed the entire year due to injury, I will be very curious to see what happens to his stock with the injury. So for now... I think he could be an early round three pick. Now, by combine, he might be far enough along in his rehab that we're talking about a guy who's back in round one. But for now, pick 68, I think Walker Little could be that left tackle of the future for Washington. And honestly, he might be ready to play week one because of the timing of his injury. So I like Walker Little. Um, there were times like, man, I wanted him to play a lot stronger. I thought he was a little bit strength deficient, but his movement was really good. This is a guy who's only 20 years old as of now. He'll barely be 21 when drafted. So we talked about that a couple shows ago. There's a lot of room left for him to fill out that frame and get stronger. Much like you, I was sitting here at the top of round three and need to go bargain shopping for an offensive tackle. That was the most important note here. Like we said, there was no one at three to grab. Not having a second round pick was the killer because you look at the second round options and you're like, man, maybe there'll be a Trey Adams or somebody like that that falls. Alex Leatherwood maybe falls. So that's a big one for Washington. But if they're stuck here at 68 in need of a tackle, I went with Alaric Jackson from Iowa. Now, here's the interesting thing with Jackson. I think out of him and Worfs, he is more likely to go back to school than Worfs, which is really interesting. But if he does declare, he's kind of become the forgotten man because he plays on an offensive line that has somebody that's been a surefire round right. one offensive tackle for so long. But there's a lot of things I still like with Jackson. I see some length, some athleticism, still needs some developing, but he has a lot of starting experience, which you have to really, really love for an underclassman. So Washington 
if their hand is forced where they do have to go bargain shopping at offensive tackle, I think guys like Little and Jackson hold some key value here in round three. Round four is an early one. Pick 99. This is where I have Virginia's Bryce Hall landing at Hall. Another injury guy. It His stock is largely going to be dependent on how he looks coming back from that Lower leg injury, we talked about, again, a couple shows ago that that was a bad injury, um, the tibia amphibia fracture. So him coming back from that, his stock could be anywhere from round two to day three. I like Bryce Hall. He's not the best runner in the world. But as you said earlier, they need corner help. Josh Norman's just not getting it done as he gets older. they got to start to think about how can we get younger and productive at this position. Hall is a really good value at 99. Again, 100% dependent on health. So like, don't tie me to him being here at, at 99 because... It could, again, it could be day three to undrafted. It could be round two. I think the biggest question about him before injury was he wasn't very fast. So seeing where he is post-injury will be huge. Yeah, it's safe to say you and I spent a lot of time together, Matt, because we had pretty much the same blueprint for this team <laughs> right. and for this draft. We've each given them a receiver. We've each given them a day two tackle. And now we'll each give them a, a, a wide receiver here, Colin Johnson, for me. You gave them a corner. So I look at Johnson here. He's an interesting player because in terms of measurables, it's a top 40 kind of guy. I think he runs well for a six foot six player. Yep. I think he does have an excellent catch radius. The problem is, and you know this as a Texas fan, he needs to stay on the field just more consistently and needs to kind of be that consistent go-to guy in the big moment. Now, I like Colin Johnson. This is a really good wide receiver class. He is somebody that's going to fall because of that. There's just a lot of better bigger body players than him in this class that stayed healthy. But he has talent to be on the field next year right away. And you look at the offense they have with Terry McLaren and obviously getting Dwayne Haskins back there and having reliable pass-catching options for him. Darius Geis had a really, really good weekend. If he could stay healthy, he's the rock of their run game. But getting a big-bodied pass-catching target for the red zone in the middle of the field like Johnson has to be on the priority list. I love him when he's on the field. But he's That's never the on the field. And, he, and how many guys do we see like this yep. where you, when they play, you're like, oh, top 40, top yep. 40, top 40. And then it's like, well, when the NFL teams go through it, they're like, we can't take them till day three. Yep, just not on the field enough. And a limited route tree. All right, round five, I'm going to go offensive line here. Brandon Scherf could leave as a free agent. Even if he's back, I think this is an area where you want to start to build some depth. Tommy Kramer from Notre Dame. A guy who had a little bit of hype over the summer. I like Tommy Kramer, especially in the run game. But round five, obviously, dude's a little bit limited. But I think he has some developmental potential to eventually become a starter uh, on the offensive line here. Yeah, he definitely does. And once again, this is another one of those teams stack the deck on the offensive line. And they also have a need at linebacker. So I went with Shaq Quarterman from here from Miami. He's been a player that's been on the field forever for Miami. He really, really has. And that time is finally up. But Quarterman can play. Bit of a thumper. You know, he's not going to be the most athletic guy, but he's a tough guy. He makes plays in traffic and, and through the mud. So I like what Quarterman can bring to the team. Is he a day one starter? I don't, probably not, but he's more of a special teams, can eventually transition to a two down player for them. And that's a great value in round five. Yep. Excellent value for them around five. Round seven, they have two picks, no sixth rounder. And I'm going to go with uh, some project guys here. Levante Taylor being a nickel safety. If you watch Quandre Diggs on Monday Night Football, I think that's the hope for Taylor, that he could become that type of guy at the safety position, too small to play corner. And then Muhammad Berry, a linebacker from Nebraska. Again, just throwing some depth at positions that, that need help. And around seven, if these guys can play special teams, if they can become developmental players, you feel really, really good about that spot.
Yeah, close it out here. DJ Dallas from Miami. Get a running back to compliment Geis. Adrian Peterson might play until he's 90 years old. I don't know. It'll be interesting, interesting to see if DJ Dallas declares. Such a strong week zero, and Miami has just not had a good year. And a lot of times, great running backs that fall are because they were in awful situations, and it's hard to see yeah. what they are on film. But Dallas is somebody with a lot of talent. And then the second pick in round seven, Khalil Tate. He's probably not going to play quarterback at the next level, although Trace McSorley got drafted as a quarterback too, so I don't even right. know anymore. It's all system-based. But Tate is somebody that has elite athleticism and can truly play You could play him at running back. I think he could play receiver. I think he could play special teams. He could take snaps as your third quarterback if you want. Somebody that can do a lot of different things. So in round seven, I like the value of the versatility of what Tate brings to the table. All right, that is it. The Redskins are as close to fix as we can get without a new owner. Let's take a break. Come back. Two segments of Draft on Draft for you guys. It is draft on draft time. Don't forget, you can send those questions in any day of the week. Just hashtag them draft on draft or leave them in your Apple podcast review. Garrett Greenlee wants to know, what are the chances the Vikings have a player like Jeff Okuda fall to them in the 20s, similar to how Sharif Floyd fell to them in 2013 when he was consistently mocked in the top five? Zero. (laughs) I don't want to. I don't want to pee in your Cheerios, buddy. It ain't happening. Shreve Floyd fell because of a health concern. And so I, Jeff Okuda would have to have like a heart condition to fall that far. And you don't want that anyway. So no, it's not going to happen. It's fun. Yeah, it's a, it's a good dream. I'll tell you that. But if you're a Vikings fan, uh, if you listen to mock draft Monday, you start looking at, you know, Paulson Adebo, Christian Fulton, Jeff Gladney. Those are the names you want to look at corner and man. We talked about on the Monday show and Xavier Rhodes lived up to the hype of uh, what we expected. My God, it's over. It's it's over. It's It's crazy that it's so many of my friends are Chiefs fans. And they were like, why didn't we trade for Xavier Rhodes? There you go. Last night is why you're fine because GM watched him play football. All right. Right. Patrick Chamberlain, Mr. Perfect attendance. Aside from quarterback, which position faces the biggest jump in competition or steepest learning curve from college to the NFL? How do you factor that in when ranking players across different positions? So I'll say I don't really factor it in when ranking because we're ranking based more on talent, not on pro readiness, at least at most positions. Quarterback's obviously the hardest. I think corner and wide receiver are the two others that are just really, really difficult because you know, like safety is a reactive position for the most part. You're just, you know, you're reading your key and you're going. Corner is so, so difficult. And I think that's why we see, you know, we haven't really seen a rookie corner play that well this year or even last year, to be completely honest. And at receiver, you know, we're, a lot of first-round receivers last couple of years have not not contributed early on. Even this year, like, Nikhil Harry's been hurt, but we haven't seen a huge contribution from him. Hollywood Brown's been pretty good, but I think some of that is, like, you know, everybody's chasing his quarterback around, and he's just open on the back end of some of those plays. So I've always heard the farther from the ball you are, the harder your transition is outside of quarterback, and I, I think there's some truth to that. Yeah, I'm with you there. I think when you look at it, the corner is so tough because you're seeing different offenses. You're seeing perfect timing and routes. Like in yeah. college, if you have perfect coverage, the ball's either not coming your way or you're making a play on the ball. In the NFL, how many times, Matt, do we see a guy in perfect coverage and the ball's just thrown in the right place and it doesn't matter? And you can't play defense anymore. So if you touch the guy right. or try to touch the ball, you get called for DPI or holding. So I, I think corner has gotten ridiculous ridiculously hard to play and that's why if you've been listening to this podcast we keep hammering it why Jeff Akuta is so valuable 
I yeah. mean, his ability in man coverage is phenomenal. And, and at that length, he he really can be a rare player in the league if he keeps developing on the trajectory that he's on. All right, yeah. Carly Siebert, which draftee has your best bet to bear hug Goodell on stage in 2019? Her vote is A.J. Epinesa. I go with Derek Brown. I was going to say Derek Brown. Derek That's... Brown just feels like the kind of guy who's going to wrap somebody up. Yeah, I, I think it'll be... Derek Brown, um, if it's Chase Young, Roger Goodell is going to need a lot of time oh, in the chiropractor God. because right. he would just break him in half. But yeah. I, what about Javon Kinlaw, our guy? Oh, yeah. I saw him tweeting at people Tuesday morning. He's a riot. So, yeah, I think he could be just happy enough that he does it. Uh, it's always going to be those guys. It's like a, a lineman from the SEC is a pretty good bet, in my opinion. He's tweeting right now as we do the show, and I can't even, I can't even can't read, read it. it. I, nope. But I love him because he's authentic, and that's what I appreciate about him. It's amazing, especially yeah. when he said uh, he was reading his senior bowl invite on the toilet. Javon yeah. Kinlaw, absolute legend. Nothing but honest. So. Nothing but honest. All right, Justice Straub says, if you're Greg Roman, would you go to head coaching interviews wanting a wink and nod from the GM? You get a bridge quarterback you're experienced with, like RG3 or Colin Kaepernick, with the intent to draft a quarterback like Jalen Hurts to maximize his scheme. Um, that's tough. I don't know. Uh, I think with Greg Roman, you have to talk to the owner and the GM and say, Hey, like, this is what works for me. I'm going to need a guy that can move around a little bit. I think if you're an owner and a GM, where we're at right now is guys like Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson, obviously Deshaun Watson. I mean, they're, they're winning with their legs. And I know just from talking to as many scouts as I do, the concern right now is twofold. Number one, is this sustainable? Because I saw a graphic the other day, actually, and it was like the top five rushing years ever by a quarterback. None of those quarterbacks had sustainable success. So I think there's always going to be a little bit of a hesitation until someone is able to have a long, sustained career as a, a guy who runs the ball a lot. And Russell Wilson doesn't run the ball as much as Lamar Jackson does. So let's not put him in this conversation. And the second factor is, and this is something we've talked a lot about, there aren't very many guys like that. There just aren't very many guys like Lamar Jackson or Kyler Murray on planet Earth. There are even fewer of them playing quarterback in college right now. And so I think you can have the idea of we want a running quarterback. It's harder to find one. Jalen Hurts ran a 4-6-4 at Alabama's uh, junior pro day. Lamar Jackson would have ran in the 4-2 to 4-3 range. Kyler Murray probably would have been in the 4-3 range. So it's fun to say Jalen Hurts is a good runner. But he's not like that. He's not that fast. He might be closer to Russell Wilson as an athlete or a runner. But the difference even between Russ and these guys is is astronomically big. I mean, it's just crazy. So I think that Greg Roman can want all those things, Connor. But it's really hard to find it. when like You can want in one hand, and, and but that doesn't really mean anything. Yeah, I think if you're Greg Roman and you do get a job this year, you're probably taking over a, one of the rebuilding franchises. And if you want your quarterback, maybe you offer the Chargers a really low pick for Tyrod Taylor, get yeah. them back together again, and kind of have a season that Miami's having with Fitzpatrick. You're going to win some games. You're re really rebuilding. But you're looking at the 2021 class and getting Justin Fields. That's what I would be doing if I'm Greg Roman. And Justin Fields is not Lamar Jackson or Kyler Murray. No, He's a big-bodied runner. He's more of a 4-5 runner. I, I know as a recruit, that's around where his time was near. Fields is somebody where his comps are all over the place. I know some people like Dak, some people like Cam, some people like Josh Allen. And, yeah. and, you know, there's a lot of good with all three of those guys right now. I know Cam needs to get healthy and get right, but Dak and Josh Allen have had really nice years so far. 
I think if you're Roman, like you said, Matt, why teams are so hesitant right now to hire him, and he should get interviews. He definitely yep. should. But is replicating the system that easy? I don't think it is. And even like with RG3 and Kaepernick, like, I don't I don't know that. I mean, obviously, Kaepernick's not in the NFL. And then with RG3, I don't know that that's a dude you can put out there for 16 games. No, no, not anymore. I think I think that's kind of obvious right now. It just seems like those days are over. 16 yeah. games. I mean, I think of anything, like, I don't believe Tyler Huntley from Utah is an NFL starting quarterback. Like, in college right now, there's just not, there just aren't very many guys that fit that mold. Justin Fields kind of does, like you said. Um, I, I had someone ask me this week, like, do you see Dak with him? And uh, to a degree, their build is, is a lot alike, but I, I just, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't see him as being a, definitely not a Lamar Jackson type guy. So it's going to be interesting to watch and see what he becomes. But it, it's fun. Go back sometime and look at the top seasons ever for running quarterback and look at how many of them were sustained long term. Obviously, the game is changing a little bit. Um, and I'll, I'll be curious to see. I think Richard Sherman talked about this Sunday night. How many teams start keying on Lamar Jackson when he breaks the pocket? You know, if they're running RPO anytime, they're going to start hitting this guy like a running back. And I'm fascinated to see it. Number one, if anybody can tackle him. <laughs> because yeah, I don't know too. if they can. And then, and then what, how this changes, because I, I know there are teams that have been hesitant to really hit him because he's a quarterback and no one knows how the NFL is going to call it. So, all right, let's take a break. Come back. Three more draft on draft questions to close out your Wednesday stick to football. Gustavo Olguin wants to know with differing reports on the USC coaching changes, what steps do you guys take before breaking a huge story or news update? So, a really good question because we actually, I actually got duped by this too. I was at the Chiefs Raiders game Sunday. I got an alert on my phone that Sports Illustrator reported that Clay Helton had been fired as head coach at USC. I showed Mello my phone. It's like, hey, look, Clay Helton got fired. Okay. <laughs> then you go into a football game thinking Clay Helton got fired. Turns out Sports Illustrated retracted or refuted their own report that Clay Helton had been fired. And so you're left in this weird situation of like, okay, I saw that happen, and I still have the alert like on my phone, yeah. but it didn't happen. And I will say, we don't break a lot of news. It's just not our jobs. There are times where we get information, like Kyler Murray last year, and we're going to pass that along to you guys. But um, I will say, having been, especially a little bit earlier in my career, there are times news comes out, and you, you get it first, and you want to break it. It is nerve-wracking. You're waiting for someone to verify that news the whole time you know you're just like you're waiting for your second source you're waiting for your third source and i we have different editorial policies of bleach report now than we did then but i don't like breaking news it's really not worth it i mean espn and nfl network are not going to credit you anyway they're going to credit Schefter and Rappaport. so yep. it's really not even worth it i just not I, i'm in the opinion business now yeah it <laughs> I mean, when it gets closer to the draft, you know we'll have nuggets on the show. Yeah, and that's fine. That's what we always do. We have plenty of nuggets. Or if there's something we're, like, dancing around, it's because we know something we can't say. I want to make that very clear on the show yep. right now. When people are like, well, why do you guys do this? It's not like we're intentionally ignoring something. And I think it's a really good point. I think the news-breaking business, thanks to Twitter, has become so dangerous where— yep. I mean, if you get an alert from Sports Illustrated that Clay Helton gets fired, why the hell would you second guess that? But yeah, it, right. was, it was clearly not valid. And it's interesting to me. It, it really is. And to answer the question of what I do, number one, you treat all your sources very differently. There are sources where it can come yeah. from one person and you go, guy's never been wrong 90 times in a row. It's probably right. 
Then there's also people that just love to have buzzy kind of things. You should probably double or triple check those kind of things. Right. So there's levels of sources. There's also, here's another big one. And this is something I've gotten better at as I've gotten older. And Matt, something you and I talk about at dinner at the Combine and Senior Bowl every year. There's news that's broken for a reason, whether it's yep. from the team, whether it's from the agent for the player. And I understand all sides of it. And some of it might be hyperbole. And, you know, that's kind of how you look at things where you need, I don't want to say you need to take everything with a grain of salt, but sometimes there's a reason why that news is getting out. And I'll say you're absolutely right. The other side of this is even if it's not like breaking news, like, you know, the Chiefs trade for whatever, Patrick Mahomes, there are times we will tell you guys things that we hear from well-placed legitimate sources people would have information and not you guys are lovely listeners but people on twitter will argue with you about it uh, this happens to me every year where i'll say x players falling down the board because of character concerns that entire fan base will then argue with you about the perceived character concerns and be like no no no, he's not going to fall then the player falls in the draft and that fan base blames you for manufacturing the character concerns that made the player fall this happens to me with dalvin cook anytime he has a good game people are like it's your fault he wasn't a first rounder no, it's not my fault. He had like five arrests at Florida State. Wasn't me. I wasn't there. And significant injury concerns. And there's a player this year where there's a fan base that believes the guy's a first-round pick, and he's not. And he's probably a seventh-round draft pick based on what I've been told from teams. And it's just because they don't love his work ethic. They don't love the way he carries himself. They think he's entitled. That is a character concern. Character concern doesn't just mean you have an arrest record. Like, just you can't just Google a guy and the word arrest and be like, nope, no character concerns. Character concerns can mean a lot of different things. So I think the news part of this job has gotten tough because people just don't want to believe it. They're going to believe they whatever they want. They do not. Whether, whether you could have – there is a certain player that – I've but I've talked to 16 teams about and they don't like him. And if I tweeted that right now, it goes against what those people want to believe, so they won't believe it. Like it's validation right now. It's it's not news. So Yeah, all it's right. it's tricky, man. It's it's <laughs> That's a good conversation for me. But it's a good conversation because I think and I love a lot of our listeners are open to it where they're like, "Man, we don't know what that world's like." Like instead of just, you know, tell us what it's like. Yeah. And that's just a taste of it. Stressful. That's very. It's oh, like. it's it very. All right. At ice water only. You guys think the Chiefs will draft a workhorse running back with that second round Niners pick? If so, would a guy like J.K. Dobbins fit? J.K. Dobbins would be an amazing fit. Yep. Where I struggle with this is would Kansas City draft a running back? And I just don't know. Um, they, they actually do. They I don't think they do have an early pick this year from from San Francisco. I think that was last year, the D Ford trade. I think the, I think the chiefs just have their own second rounder, but neither here or there. I don't think they're a team that would draft a running back early. Um, I just don't think they value it. Now I would love it. They, they pick at 55 in the second round. That's their original pick. I would love to see JK Dobbins or Najee Harris here, but they have so many other needs. You know, they need at least one corner. They need probably one lineman. You know, they, they need another tight end. Travis Kelsey is getting older. They need, and they would love to run more two tight end sets. This team has legitimate needs. If Miko Hartman doesn't step up, what do you do with Sammy Watkins? So there are a lot of needs. I feel like running back for Kansas City is a little bit of a vanity pick, or because you, I mean, like you can get production with Daryl Williams and Damian Williams and Darwin Thompson. And 
you know, they're the Sean McCoy. They can find a guy in this scheme. It's like we talk about the Niners a lot. They don't need to draft running backs. Just let Matt Breida do it, you know? And so I, I feel like that's where the Chiefs are too. Yeah, I really think so. I think they're one of those teams where like Keyshawn Vaughn in round four, something like that because of his speed element and you know he could fit the system they have. When you look at the Chiefs, once again, like you said, Matt, because of their offense, they don't need a running back that early, especially they have a lot of defensive needs. That's a big one for me. They, If this team can just load up on young defensive talent, cheap defensive talent to build around that can just hold the fort while Patrick Mahomes scores four touchdowns a game, that's what you're looking to do if you're Kansas City. All right, the last question of the show today. I really like this one from K.H. Romitz. Can you describe your work routine? What is it like to be a media scout? Do you have days off? How much time do you spend <laughs> watching games, film, and after the season? How do you prepare for the podcast? Thank you. That's a nice question. A, a lot. Uh, it's a lot. And our jobs are, are a little bit different. And if Melo were here, our three jobs are different, the things yep. we're asked to do. Um, you know, for me, I write right now uh, two articles a week, three podcasts a week, um, after the first of the year, I'll write three articles a week. We'll be doing 400 scouting reports. We're still going to do the podcast three times a week. So our work routine, you really don't get a day off in season, and that's okay because our summers are pretty laid back. So it it kind of balances out, I think. But the podcast has really changed things because we are on camera now three times a week. It's not like it used to be where just throw a hoodie and a hat on and we sit in yeah. our living rooms and record the podcast. So that adds an element to it. Um, we have a group text that is exhaustive because it's anything that happens in the world of football. We have to, the three of us have to be talking about and and trying to figure out our opinion on it. If it's worth talking about how we want to handle it, how we want to cover it. So stick to football is almost operates like its own little news department. And that's on, that's on top of our, what I would even say, like our normal job, you know, my, my job is to write articles for bleacher report. The podcast is, 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 almost secondary to that at times or at least sometimes it feels that way i was gonna say yeah it's interesting there's a lot of things that like people don't see which is why i like this question a lot like when this show goes out it it needs to go places and we have a great production staff at bleacher report that uh i usually spend a lot of time with and they're so good that they could really do it on their own they edit a lot of the stuff you see on youtube on social media and then I need to figure out where those things go and get them to our app team at Bleacher Report. This is a big operation. There's a lot of people in the New York office that and the San Francisco office that help get this show all the places it needs to be. And then when you look at the football side of it, it is funny because we travel almost every weekend. So when yep. I get back, depending on what day it is, obviously NFL Sundays, football is on. But at some point, we got to watch the college games. And we have a <laughs> right. server here that records all of them, fortunately. So if there's a game I want to revisit... Log on, type in, and and watch what you need to watch. That's usually what a lot of Mondays consist of when we don't have to record a show. And, I mean, this can go on and on and on. But there's not really a lot of days off from late August to the draft, I would say. Yeah, Labor Day to May 1st is is pretty crazy. Um, And like you said, we're gone a lot of weekends. Like we were at Stanford Cal last weekend. So those games that happen, you got to get caught up. Like, you know, we kind of kept an eye on like Ohio State, Penn State, but you're not really watching that because you're trying to interact with people. So you got to come home and watch it. And that's it's always funny to me where people are like, why did you just all of a sudden move X player down? It's like, well, because I just now got time to watch like his last four games yeah. because we're on the road so much. And and it's, it's different too when you have a family, something that, that Connor will – maybe eventually experience maybe. You, you know for me like i have my son two nights a week and i 
I don't like to work on Tuesday and Wednesday nights. I want to spend that time with him because it's yeah. limited. And then every other weekend, I have him as well. And those are our weekends we're not on the road. So it's you play a lot of catch-up throughout the week so that you can kind of have a normal life uh, when we're actually home. I think it's kind of funny, too. Since we started traveling, this is our second year of doing it, I know there's I know less players from a volume perspective this time of year, but I know more about a smaller pool because we go places and it's like, okay, I know exactly what that guy is, where he'll go, what everyone thinks of him. And then after the combine, we get about two months of being home where all we really could do is, is just watch film, which is great. It's relaxing. Um, The weeks are long, but that's the time where you catch up on the, the, not the top five to eight guys at the position groups, but the guys that are in that 8 to 25 of each yep. position group. And I think that's where – and I love when people send questions, but I always try to be honest with them. If they're asking about an offensive tackle that's probably going in round six from a school that's not in the power five, there's a good chance that we haven't watched them yet. It's just the way it is because we're traveling every single weekend and you want to get the top guys in first. And then you'll get to all of those guys, especially around the combine and after. So it it's a really unique job, I think, because – we get to do a lot of cool different things and the show needs to make money. So there's times we're involved with a lot of ways of doing that. And we partner with really awesome companies that want to be involved with stick to football. So we could put on events for you guys. And that's how we have all those manscaped event in New York city in Johnsonville this weekend in Atlanta, Merck's cheese at Madison, Wisconsin. So there's things of this job that are not football related that we had no idea we were getting involved in, but are actually a blast. <laughs> those ads don't read themselves. No, And they do that. not. That's another <laughs> sneaky thing. That is a big part of the week. Uh, it's like an hour of my week right there. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, but, but it's fun, and we appreciate everyone that makes it possible, from the listeners to Howard Mittman running Bleacher Report, who somehow uh, listens to this show still three times a week and lets us continue to do it. A lot it, of so Ohio State love on this show. Yes, for Chase Young, best player ever uh, yep. for that reason. All right, that is our show. Mello and I will be here Friday morning. Connor gets a rare night off. He Ooh. has earned it. Mello and I will be here Friday morning getting you ready for – championship weekend and then we will be in atlanta don't forget saturday morning come see us from 10 30 until around one o'clock right in front of mercedes-benz superdome for connor this is matt we'll talk to you guys real soon